Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, class of 2020. Today, we talked to Carrie Metterich, class of 2007, senior deputy coroner and autopsy technician at DuPage County. Carrie will share with us how reading about true crime stories as a young student and a human anatomy class here at WeGo started her on the path to become a principal investigator for the DuPage County Coroner. Joining us today is Carrie Metterich from the class of 2007. Carrie, what do you do? Um, I am a deputy coroner, also known as a forensic medical legal death investigator. I also am an autopsy technician where I assist the forensic pathologist in autopsies and examinations. Wow. So how, how did you, where did you, how did you begin this path towards um, this particular career? So you, you went down, you did your undergrad at University of Central Florida. That's a fall. That's a, that's a long way from West Chicago. How did you find your way there? <laughs> Um, well, it wasn't entirely strategic. Um, I'm kind of impulsive and went more on my interests um, and desires before um, intellect. But I think my interest started way when I was a younger kid, probably around fifth grade, which <laughs> sounds kind of weird. But um, my friend introduced me to like investigations in all the serial killers back in the day. So that sparked the interest or planted the seed when I was young. So I'd always read into that. Um, in high school, I took a human anatomy and physiology course. So at that point, I became um, enthralled with the human body and how it worked. And I was just fascinated with that. So I think at that time, I just wanted to combine both my passions or interests at the time. It's like, oh, I'm obsessed with investigating and crime scenes and putting a puzzle together. And I'm fascinated with the human body. So I just combined that and I was like, I'll be a forensic pathologist. <laughs> um, so I was just going to say then, um, I looked up forensic science, um, and all the schools in the country that had that major. Um, and I knew I wanted to go out of state for some reason. I just thought college for me meant going out of state and saw that central Florida, offered forensic science and that kind of started that route. What, what kind of courses did you take at uh, central Florida? Um, well, you have to get all your gen eds done. So, um, besides that, I took analytical chemistry, um, your basic forensic science class, forensic anthropology, um, genetics. Um, what else did I take? Um, a bunch of crime scene investigation um, classes involving like postmortem changes and you know analyzing evidence and stuff like that. Which one was your favorite? Which one? Which one of the classes kind of confirmed that you're like I love this? Like it didn't even feel like you were studying because you just loved it so much, and you're like I I I chose correctly. Yeah, um, I would say um, forensic. Anthropology was one of them because it was just so interesting, the differences in how they kind of discerned um, ethnicity just from bones. Um, and then just 
all the different, we had to take like serial killer courses to kind of for like criminology. Um, and then, um, forensic psychology as well. Um, so that was just interesting to me. So all the abnormal stuff was the thing that piqued my interest the most. (laughs) I've, I remember years ago, I read an article about um, a body farm in like Texas, I believe, where maybe the, the FBI is that is did did you did you have any experience where um, you went to a place like that? Because I think that would be kind of that kind of forensic anthropology where you have to study the various pathologies of a body and decay and then make. I love that metaphor that you used before about it's a puzzle, right? Like you have to look at what's in front of you and then kind of work your way backwards. Did you have any, uh, like, what was there um, any kind of experience that you had to kind of go to a place like that? Or what was like kind of a unique uh, field trip or kind of um, uh, kind of research that you had to do that was something like that? So I've definitely heard of the body farm and I love the body farm. I have not yet been, um, I read a book on the body farm. I forget who the author is, but very interesting before I even got started in my career. Um, I've had um, a few of my colleagues have gone out there for classes and just continuing their education. Um, So I was trying to get out there before this past year hit. Um, But that is definitely in the future. I mean, I, I see it in my daily, you know, at work on the, on the scene, but I would still like to go to the body farm just to see how they do it over there and further my knowledge, but, um, have not yet been. Now, when you were, what are the types of like internships that you do, uh, when you're, uh, doing this, when you're pursuing this degree? So it's art, like the coroner's office or death investigation is a very small, you know, snippet of the whole, you know, crime scene investigation. Um, it takes a bunch of different agencies. So we work with the sheriff's office um, and their crime scene detectives. Um, then they have the evidence technicians, photographers. We also work with the state's attorney's office, um, funeral homes. So it's always, it's kind of hard to shadow our office or our deputies just because of age. It, we have to determine if the person's ready to go out to scene or see the things that we see. Um, but you can, um, shadow or have an internship over at the, any sheriff's office or DuPage County Sheriff, follow the detectives or the crime scene unit over there. I know they take people. Um, if you're more involved in like the state's attorney's office and prosecuting, you can do an internship over there, or you can even intern over at, the local police departments, um, and they do more investigating on either a civil side or the criminal side, whereas our office is solely dealing with the body and cause and manner. Um, but you can intern with any law enforcement agency to kind of get your foot in the door and see if what you like and what you don't like, because not one agency does everything. So, you graduated from University of, of Central Florida. How did you find your way back to Illinois? <laughs> um, I think I always saw college as a temporary move. So I didn't expect to like Florida and living down there as much as I did. So I was planned on coming back because my family's from here. So I had made all the arrangements to come back once I graduated. And 
then I think when push came to shove and I was getting ready to move everything out, I realized I was like, I think I decided too quick to pull the trigger. And at that point, I was already headed back home. So <laughs> I've been here ever since. <laughs> So did you, when you came back, did you already have uh, the job lined up at, uh, at uh, DuPage? I did not. So I was kind of back in Florida. I was talking with um, the ATF agency down in Florida, um, but I hadn't had it figured out at the time. I didn't know how to get into law enforcement because I think that's a struggle with anybody leaving college or, you know, entering their career is they always want somebody with experience. So that was a hard thing for me. So at first I came back and I just worked in the food and beverage industry for some years. And at that point, I think I was fine, you know, just trying to save up some money. And then it got to a point where I was like, all right, I need to really be more proactive, but I was still struggling um, how to get into that. I wanted to be like homicide detective or forensic pathology And so at first I started testing with all the police agencies and thought, well, maybe I have to get in there and work my way up into the detective unit. But I knew it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do because the detectives only deal with deaths, a very small percentage. Um, And then I was watching a coroner's documentary, really, and it sparked my interest. I was like, oh, I need to check the coroner's office. And at the time, DuPage had an opening and was hiring and it just kind of worked out and was the job that was perfectly set up for me and everything I was interested in. So what year did you start that? I started at the coroner's office in 2015. So you're, you start there and I was wondering, like, what's the learning curve of once you, uh, once you start there? So how, how how recent is it until you, or how quickly is it that you begin to kind of really get a feel of what the, a typical investigation is like, um, and and all that, what, what's that process like? So it's a little overwhelming in the beginning because you feel a lot of pressure. Like it's, um, you feel like a lot is riding on your decisions and what you do, but, um, I think it probably takes maybe up to a year, a little more before you feel very comfortable. Um, You're able, in the beginning, you go out with um, the deputy that's training you um, and they kind of, they teach you everything you need to know about investigating the scene, speaking with authorities, speaking with family, um, your demeanor in case, you know, the news is out there um, and all of that. And then it gets to a certain point where you eventually have to go out on your own, which at that point, you you never feel ready because um, I remember I felt like I was this young girl and I'm in a male dominated field that is some guys are out there. They've been in the law enforcement for 20 years. And technically, when I come on scene or the coroner's office or medical examiner's office enters the scene, they own that scene. And then all the law enforcement looks to the death investigator as it's their scene and they hold the authority. So I would go on scene and there would be like, sometimes depending on the nature of the scene, if there was 40 law enforcement um, officers, sergeants, detectives, they would all look to me and be like, what are we doing? Or, you know, what do you want to do? So that was a little intimidating, but I think it's just a time thing as you, the more you do it, 
the more comfortable you get, but there's always a new call or scene that is something you haven't seen before. And you kind of got to be on your toes or just, you know, uh, think differently or outside the box. What exactly falls underneath the jurisdiction uh, of the coroner's office? Like, so what, what ultimately begins the, or what necessitates an investigation from uh, your office? So our office is anything where the question um, of manner of death is in question. Um, A lot of people think just because somebody passes away suddenly that they're entitled to an autopsy or examination. Uh, We would love to be able to do that. It's just hard um, with the manpower, but um, any type of sudden or violent death, um, you know, apparent suicide, suspicious death, um, accidental, um, or fatal out on the roadway is reportable to our office. Um, any emergency room death, um, or unattended death at home, um, is reportable to our office. Um, and then the list goes on. I mean, it can be any type of sex crime or, um, you know, some type of drug induced death or alcohol, um, anything suspicious where you'd have to think too is like this person shouldn't have passed away so suddenly as well. So would you say, is your work done? What's the percentage of your work that's done in at the crime scene or maybe it's not the crime scene or at the scene where, um, and how much it is done maybe back where you do have to kind of really work with the pathology of the body. Like what's the percentage of where your time is spent? Yeah, um, I would say, uh, you know, there's a good deal of, I would where we're back at the office, you know, typing the reports, talking to families, um, and talking with the pathologist. I would say that is a majority of the job is where we're at the office writing reports. Um, however... The next portion, I would say maybe just a little less than half would be out on scene um, at the home of where somebody passed away or out, you know, on a roadway. But um, and then I would say the least amount would be in the pathology or in the autopsy suite with the pathologist. Um, That is mainly the deputy's case. They will attend the viewing if they have time, but usually that's just the forensic pathologist the evidence technician to document with photos, and then the autopsy technician who assists the pathologist in the evisceration of all the tissues and organs. You must have such a trained eye to kind of, because if someone walks into a scene, if you're like, say a librarian, or if you are uh, a mechanic, or I mean, you, you walk into your context with a, a particular lens. I was wondering if you can maybe walk us through, like, when you show up at um, a, a place where you, you, you call it the viewing or where you see where the body uh, may be, what are like the what's the what are the things that you look at first when you come to a scene? So one, you kind of want to keep an open mind. It's hard where we kind of like, when you get the call from whatever agency, it could be a nurse or a funeral director or a sergeant from a police department. 
um, and they'll say it's apparently looks like a suicide or it looks like a drug overdose. Um, you can keep that in your head, but you have to keep an open mind as to, all right, that's there, but there's still a possibility of foul play being involved um, as to not miss anything. The thing that helps too is it, there's a checks and balances with all the departments on scene. You have the coroner's office. Um, you have the, the paramedics that have to arrive and pronounce or one of the agencies that can pronounce death. You have the primary officers from the law enforcement agency. Then you have the detectives there. And um, then you have family for their or whatever witness information. Um, and then you kind of have to go off of all of that. So you can bounce ideas off of one another. But I think when you enter a scene, you one want to make sure like everything's in order. Like, does the home look like they've been living this way, even if it is dirty? Um, what's the immediate surrounding scene of where they're at? Are things knocked over? Um, does it look like they were in distress? Um, so is anything out of place? And you kind of want to start there um, before you move anything. And then once you kind of get an overall view of that and make sure that every agency or the evidence techs are done documenting what they need to document, then you can start maneuvering the decedent and seeing what kind of they can tell you based on postmortem changes, their positioning, um, and anything that you find on them, whether that's trauma um, that can indicate, all right, they couldn't have done that by themselves. Um, and then sometimes you just get, it's like part of our work is physical evidence. And then another part is kind of just, you get a hunch and you kind of have to go with that and then investigate that a little bit. I love that idea of a hunch as being part of your experience an intuition of where you build it up after having the experience um, that you have had with your particular job. What was the first hunch that you ever had? If you could disclose like what that was, where you're like, you just, you knew that you had to pursue it and then it, it ended up, you know, coming to fruition. Do you remember what that was? Um, let me think here. There's so many that it's hard to, they all kind of mush together. Right. Um, but I guess the one that probably first comes out to me is um, there was one where it looked like a natural death because the gentleman, um, it just appeared like he was in bed, didn't look, he didn't live the most healthy of lifestyles. Um, so it looked natural. Um, but once you gather some social history and you kind of look at like maybe some prescriptions on the scene that they don't look entirely in order and they look to be a lot. And some of them are more powerful than you're like, and he kind of was a social drinker. Um, I think at that point I was like, well, this possibly, this could be an accidental overdose. Um, so I pushed for toxicology testing, which we do on all um, deaths that we bring back to be autopsied or examined, but not necessarily every case. Um, that we go out to do we test toxicological specimens. But at that one, it ended up being an accidental overdose um, because of alcohol and drugs in his system. Carrie, there's so much science 
in what you do, I was wondering if you could almost like run us through the convergence of how much science is what you do. I mean, we, we know that you have to have an incredible grasp of anatomy. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe kind of, kind of walk us through like other things like the chemistry that's involved, the genetics perhaps, and all that. There's just so many different things. Like you, you must be um, a jack of all trades in what you do. Uh, I was wondering if you can maybe walk us through some of those various different angles that it takes to kind of um, be very effective at your job. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I think I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. I kind of joke about that, but um, like we do have our experts that we, we go to. So like, um, because any case that we do, we can be deposed and go to court for. So we are careful in how we determine things and what we say. We don't, um, say it is exactly like that's blood or that's that injury. We have to say apparent or because if we're called out in court and they question us, they're then going to question, you know, certification and this and that. Um, so we try to start out in our report um, being a little more general so that we don't get ourselves in between a rock and a hard spot in the courtroom. Um, or we leave that for the forensic pathologist um, when they talk to him or her. Um, but we definitely, I mean, there's a lot, like you'll see on TV where they use like, you know, all these fancy gadgets and luminol spray and all that stuff that we really don't use in every day, you know, at the coroner's office. It's a little more boring, <laughs> but um, I know there's, you know, forensic entomology where they use bugs like they would at the body farm to just see the rate of decomposition of a body and kind of get an estimate of when the person died, which you can totally use. And it is useful, but on, you know, a day-to-day, -day, you know, crime scene investigation, we don't use that too much. Um, but you can notice like biology wise, the post-mortem changes and what happens in the body. So you kind of have to be aware of that and each stage to kind of give an estimate on when the person died. It can also show maybe where there's injuries, depending on what's decomposing faster due to the injury, or if there is, you know, bugs or maggots. <laughs> Sorry to be graphic. Mm. Um, and then, you know, with drugs, you have to have, you don't have to have an exact knowledge, like be a pharmacist, but you have to be aware of prescriptions and possibly them reacting with other drugs or alcohol. Um, so that's why social history is important, getting that from family, friends, or any type of witnesses. Um, forensics, you need to know evidence, how to properly package it so you don't destroy anything in case it does go to court or they are trying to prosecute a defendant. Um, fingerprint analysis. We don't technically do, but we have a, we work with the evidence technicians in the sheriff's office that can do fingerprints or send those out to be tested um, in case you need help identifying a decedent. Um, we have a forensic odontologist that we refer to in case we also struggle to identify somebody um, and we have to extract the jaws for them to x-ray. Um, compared to dental records. Um, what other science? 
what is the most sensitive part of a of a crime scene where it's and and, and, and I mean by sensitive being in the forensic sense, which is wait, we have to be extra careful to not contaminate or spoil or something like what is what's the one thing they're like whoa stop we need to make sure that we get this first before we move on to the next thing of course um i would say it would probably be the suspicious deaths where they like where we think it looks homicidal those are the ones where you have to be we're careful on every scene but those are the ones where you really have to watch um what you do um, and when you do it and everything has to be documented, um, and you really want to communication is key because you're working with so many different agencies and we're all kind of working together, um, for different reasons. So I would say the homicide ones are where you really got to be careful. Can, can you define the, or like how you use the forensic entomology again? So like, is that the observance of how the critters assist in the decay or do you use them to understand the rate of decay to see where it's going? Like I was wondering how that, how that would work. Cause that, that sounds really fascinating. Yeah. So we don't like there's, I'm sure like the body farm, they study that every day to down to the hour and what type of species and all of that stuff. Uh, we don't use it that specifically it's more of kind of our office or I would use it in like a general sense. So kind of, if you see no, and it depends on where they're at, are they inside, outside, open windows, doors, is it cold or warm? Um, but if there's no bugs and they're inside, it could be that they haven't been there as long. Um, if you start seeing there's like some maggot activity and they kind of look like, um, it's, they're like just little white clusters. You almost, they're little eggs. Um, those would be in any type of like orifice or hole or injury that kind of exposes, you know, any internal tissue of the body, you know, ears, eyes, nostrils, mouth, and then any injury. Um, that's like a beginning stage. And then depending on if you go to a scene, and there's flies everywhere in the home, um, then you know that they've been there for some time because you have full stages or full growth of, of larva and different flies. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. <laughs> so now I, I was wondering, you know, you've been at this for quite some time in, I was wondering if you've seen any, trends like either positive trends in that you're meaning that there might be less types of death that are going on or maybe negative trends that you're you're seeing in your observation uh with uh what's been coming through the coroner's office yeah um um i know within our office um unfortunately we get busier every year um and Sadly, obviously natural deaths will have always and still are the number one um, manner that we see. But I know the suicides and the drug overdoses the past few years have been dramatically in increasing, unfortunately. You see things that no one else sees. Most people 
it, it just throughout their day or throughout their weeks, throughout their years, may never come into contact with with the visual. Like to, to uh, you use this expression earlier to to see what you see, and there are some things that you can't like unsee. And I was wondering about how you could maybe describe the type of very strong will and psychology that it takes to kind of do your job. Yeah, it you know, I feel like the field that I'm in, it, you can't really prepare yourself for it. And even I, like I thought I could do it and I knew I could do it, but they, when I first started there, they even questioned me, like, how do you know you can do this job? And I said, I don't know how to prove to you that I can. You just have to trust me on this. <laughs> um, but I think you have to have a, a passion and fascination with you know, life in general and the human body um, as well, and just curiosity. But I think you also have to keep um, everything with a grain of salt and you have to learn how to compartmentalize. And so people tell me all the time that I'm just cut from a certain cloth and that I, not everybody can do this job. And to me, I'm like, it doesn't make sense to me because I can do this you know, and it doesn't affect me, um, which I guess means that I am cut out for this kind of field. But um, I think you just have to um, be good with people um, and in tough situations that are uncomfortable. And like when you're talking with family, you're with them at the most traumatic points of their lives. And you have to, one, be stern and show them guidance in something they might not have ever done with. But at the same time, you have to be soft and sympathetic or empathetic with them and not have them feel like this is just another person to you or, you know, another day in the life of your job. But, um, I think for me, besides that, it's just, I'm fascinated by so much about the job. I think it teaches me a lot about life that you don't get in any other field that I'm very, uh, grateful for. I would imagine that that has to be the most important touch to have is what you just described there, which is the human element of having to be with the survivors uh, that are there in that moment. I mean, any many people can be successful in the forensic science part of that, but that human element of how you're able to be with the family and, like you said, be stern but also uh, compassionate uh, in that moment was that something that was in any part of your training to do that or and or and obviously a lot of that has to be learned on the job um was 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 that in in part of in of the of the learning uh formally at school with that um so i don't think they didn't really focus too much on your demeanor with families they can tell you like generally um how to act and it's funny because different parts of the country um have different ethnicities or cultures. And I've only worked here, obviously, but I know I went to a seminar, um, a week-long seminar in St. Louis, and there was a girl from Alaska. And she said, you know, there were some cultures there where it's disrespectful to look um, people in the, I don't know if they were Native Americans up there or who it was, but um, it was disrespectful to look them into the eye So she had a hard time, you know, not looking them in the eye at such a, you know, um, important time when 
here or in a lot of other places, you want to make eye contact. Um, but I think it's more of just an innate like personality thing. I think I was just have a certain, you know, way about my personality where I feel comfortable in that situation. And that might be my little, you know, thing that I have unique to me. But if not, I mean, you can definitely learn it. It just takes some time because it can be very uncomfortable. And anything that's on network TV, there's some type of crime show that's on. And inevitably, there's going to be a moment where the detective meets with the coroner's office and and all of that. Is there any particular program that gets it right? Or are there any kind of big kind of illusions that need to be burned uh, in terms of what we see on network TV as they kind of try to show you what your job is? Yeah, Um, I would say stay far away if you're looking for reality. Um, Or I shouldn't even say reality TV because that's um, stay far away from like NCIS, CSI. Um, bones, those kind of things. But I like to walk, watch the documentary. So the ID channel or um, 48 hours is a good one. However, um, here in DuPage County, we obviously don't get a lot of this, you know, the, the unknown or ongoing cases or investigation where there's serial killers like you have that everyone thinks about, like the Jeffrey Dahmer, the John Wayne Gacy, all those ones, those are very, very few and far between. And obviously that's what really gets our interest. We want more of those. Those are interesting. But um, I think any of the, the, the docu-series or documentaries, those are, they're great ones. They pick obviously the most interesting cases because those are best to put on TV. Um, and that's not, you know, everyday thing, but it's still, is pretty accurate and how they gather information. They just might add a little drama to it. (laughs) You know, I, this might, I I normally don't ask this question of, of of the people I interview, but you know, because you've said that you've read uh, about this stuff is, are there any particular books or investigations that you still have found to be like just very formative in terms of uh, what you, what you look for in your job? Oh, let me see. It, book or, uh, or or classic cases where you're like, oh, that would be interesting for that to get followed up upon. I did read. Okay, so I don't, I kind of, when I started working, I kind of pulled back a little bit because I was doing it all day. So I stopped kind of reading and watching the TV when I got home. But I know I was fascinated with so many cases growing up, but John Bonet Ramsey was one of the cases that got me started. And I always told myself, I'm like, I'm going to solve that case when I'm older. Have yet to do that. But (laughs) that um, was one of the cases that I was fascinated with, as well as um, Jeffrey Dahmer was another one. Um, And then book wise, I read The Body Farm, which was fascinating. There's another Mm -hmm. book called Aftermath, which is actually was started by a gentleman out here, I think in Aurora maybe, but there was some type of crime or murder, I think committed in an apartment complex across from where he lived. And he had went over there to help at the time. And there was no um, agency to do biohazard cleanup or removal. And so that book is kind of about how he started that was a starting point of him starting Aftermath, and it turned into this big company. 
So that was an interesting book. And then there's one that I recently read called American Predator. That was another one that I couldn't put down, which was the modern 21st century serial killer, I think around 2012 era. Um, but that one was was very interesting. <laughs> Carrie, you kind of mentioned this before, you know, that you that you have because of your proximity to really intense um, human interactions. I mean, like you're, you're there with families during these very traumatic uh, moments and, and all of that. Um, I was, I was wondering if like, if there's a, if there's like a a piercing truth that has kind of begun to form that you see when you're, when you're, uh, when you're observing these, these moments like uh, about life or death. Yeah. Um, I, there's so many, you know, I think, um, one, I think for me, it kind of helps me accept death because I think we all kind of want to, we don't want to accept it as part of our life cycle and run away from it. So I think for me in, in seeing the state of change in a human body after the soul leaves or somebody departs this world is fascinating to me because how can somebody be talking, have all this personality emotions that you can't physically touch and the body is such a hard shell, but also so penetrable too. Um, and then to see the, how people look after they pass away, if you let them stay there is fascinating because a week ago, two weeks ago, an hour ago, they were just up walking and talking and now they look like that. So that will always boggle my mind. But, um, I think I've seen things too in my job that there's like little weird occurrences, or I don't know if they're, I don't want to call them coincidences, but like you see commonalities within certain cases that kind of makes me think like what's going on in the bigger picture here or, um, but I think for me personally, there's more to this life that I've seen in my job because I just can't separate or I don't see the soul and the human body being one together because of, um, I think the body to me looks like it's just a shell because the soul you can't really touch and you, you hear from families and see things that kind of give you hope that there's more to it than what we see to the naked eye. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Carrie, this has been so fascinating. I, I'm, I know when I'm editing this, I'm going to kick myself like a bunch of times. I'm like, oh, I should have asked her that question as well. Um, the I, I always like to end the interview with uh, the guests to give advice for success for current Wildcats. What would you offer them? Let's see. There's so much. Um, I would say, you know, I was always very hard on myself and I still am, but, um, you know, you're going to go out into the real world and I think you're going to be confused because I think growing up, you, you kind of know what you're doing. You go to school, you go to grade school, middle school, and everything's kind of set up for you to a degree. And then after that, it's like a blank slate and it's kind of like, well, now what? And it seems you kind of go through these periods where you get confused. So I would say, you know, like, even though you're confused, that's okay. 
um, just make little steps here and there and you will end up being where you should or are meant to be. So as long as you're making a step, even if it's small, you're at least progressing and you're not being stagnant. So um, I would say that and then, you know, embrace your uniqueness and your talents just because you may not be book smart or you may not be artistic. That doesn't mean um, that you don't have this amazing talent to offer the world because you obviously differences should be celebrated. And I think that um, as long as you follow your passion and what interests you, you're going to end up finding your happiness and your purpose. Um, Carrie, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, I've, I've learned so much uh, today, and this is going to be um, uh, really great for everyone to listen to. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's an honor and it was a ton of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can follow We Go Places on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Just search We Go Vox, that's We Go, V-O-X, or search on Facebook for We Go Places Podcast.